The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church One study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC1. And this is Secret Church One, Episode 2. When and where did the Old Testament, the events of the Old Testament take place? Thinking about the historical dimension. Moving on from literary to historical. When do they take place? Don't forget, the Old Testament is a real story set in real history. And I want to emphasize that because we have this tendency to almost view this book as a mythological picture. Fables, stories from the past that may or may not be true. Even in the church, especially in the United States, it's being doubted in many different circles. Well, is this really true? This is a real history, a real story of real people. Not just a book of wise religious counsel, theological propositions. It's real places, real people, and real time. Real places, real people, and real time. I want us to to grab hold of that. When we begin to unlock some of these things that are in the Old Testament, to remember this is not just just stories that we're telling each other. This is true. This is real. Real places, real people, in real time. Now, I want to give you a a history of the Old Testament in about two pages, okay? We're going to fly through this. And I just want you to get an overview. Again, we're at Larry Launcher, okay? You've got a view from 16,000 feet in the air right now, okay? Looking down, here's what happened. In the beginning, nothing, then something. It's that simple. Now, that's a a part of much debate in our culture today. But nothing cannot produce something apart from someone. Nothing cannot produce something apart from someone. You got nothing one day, and if you have nothing, then what can you get out of nothing? Out of nothing, nothing comes. See, that's deep. Out of nothing, nothing comes. But you've got nothing one day, and then you've got something. You've got creation, life, creatures, and man made in God's image. Man and woman created in the image of God, his prized creation. It placed in the Garden of Eden, which quickly becomes the location of the fall of man. By Genesis chapter 3, bad news creeps in. The Garden of Eden quickly becomes the location of the fall of man. Humankind then de- degenerates for many generations, and God judges the world with a what? With a flood. Judges the world with a flood, but he spares one righteous man. Who? Noah. Spares him and his family. Problem is, after that happens, Noah and his family, generations after him, don't do much better. There's not much improvement. So what happens is, humankind rebels at the Tower of Babel. The result is division and dispersion. And you've got a new beginning. And God's faithfulness to Abraham and his family begins to unfold. God begins to call out Abraham. As a leader of his people. Now, from that point, Abraham's prosperity turns into Israel's slavery. Abraham leads the people of God by the promise of God through his different generations, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And the result is the end of Genesis, you've got people in slavery. What that means is the exodus is necessary. The exodus, Moses leads Israel out of Egypt. So the exodus happens. They led out of slavery. And God gives Israel, once they come out, two things. God gives Israel the law. He gives them his word, the Ten Commandments. He gives them the law. And then the people enter the promised what? Land. They enter the promised land where they are ruled for a while by judges. They enter into the promised land and judges rule them. Eventually, a kingdom is established, epitomized by King David and his son Solomon. There they are in the promised land. Judges are ruling them. 
See the need for a king? You got Saul, David, then Solomon. Solomon, in his reign, builds a what? A temple, which becomes the home of the Ark of the Covenant and the center of the people's worship. After Solomon dies, though, the kingdom divides into Israel, which is the northern kingdom, and Judah, which is the southern kingdom. Very good. You had two, Israel and Judah. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. They had divided. It was united. Saul, David, Solomon, divided. Now you've got Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Idolatry grows in both places. Assyria then destroys Israel in 722 B.C. The nation of Assyria attacks Israel and destroys the nation of Israel. Then Babylon destroys Judah from 597 to 586 B.C. Ultimately, the temple is destroyed in 586 B.C. And the survivors are taken to exile in Babylon for the next 70 years. Survivors are taken there. They're in exile for 70 years. And then a remnant, basically a part of the people, come back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple. But Israel still longs for the glory it knew under David. That is the history, the story behind the Old Testament. Made simple. That's, that's the whole picture. Everything that is from Genesis to Malachi is encompassed in that story right there. The only problem is the Old Testament has become a story without an ending. You've got the people of Israel longing for the glory it knew under David. I want you to look in your notes there. You've got, you've got a couple of maps that we may refer to at a couple of different points. Look at those maps where you see, uh, number one, that, that geograph- geographical summary of the Old Testament. You can, p- you can see how this story was played out. If you look on the far right of this map, you see a, uh, a place called Ur, kind of the bottom right part of that map. That's, that's where Abraham starts, goes north, and Haran goes, you, you can follow the line around, comes into Egypt, number three there. Then the exodus happens over to number four. They go to Mount Sinai. He gives the law, promises them the land. They go to five. They wander around in circles for a while. And then they go up to number six. They go into the promised land. You see Canaan right there. And that's where it begins to unfold. They're ruled by judges. Then they're united in a monarchy. Saul, David, Solomon right in there at Jerusalem, the center there. And then uh, Saul, David, Solomon. And then you've got the kingdom divided, the northern half of that, that land of Canaan and the southern half, Israel and, and Judah. Israel is attacked by Babylon, or Israel is attacked by Assyria, which is up in the, the northeast. Judah is attacked by Babylon, which you see on the east, right on the right side over there. And they're taken. You see a, a line that goes from Canaan over to Babylon and back. That's the exile. They come back, and they come there. They rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem, and they're longing for the glory. That's the glory of, of, of Israel. That's the picture of the Old Testament. The second map you've got on the back of that is uh, I wanted to give you a picture of, of a modern-day picture of this area of the world. Just so we remember, this is real history in real places, real time. What you've got is a picture here, and you see Egypt in the bottom left there in the southwest corner. But you see Iraq and Jordan, of course, Israel, Syria. This is where all of this was happening. That gives you a new perspective on what you see on CNN, Fox News, to think about this part of the, part of the world that, that quite honestly is so volatile today was the, the place where all of these things that we read on a daily basis were unfolding in these different areas. So hopefully that will give you a picture. This is kind of a map that's a combination of both. And then the Old Testament overview, that's a picture, almost a timeline 
of the history we just looked at, persons involved in that, um, and then the, when the books were written, which we'll, we'll dive into in just a second. But I hope those will be just a couple of resources that you might turn back to occasionally just to kind of help to make sense of this whole picture. Um, but it's a story without an ending. Gets to the point, still longing for the glory of Israel. Okay. We've gotten the literary picture and the historical picture. We're flying through here. Now I want, to, I want us to dive into an overview of the books of the Old Testament. I want us to dive into an overview of the books of the Old Testament. Um, we are not going to be able, you think about it, 39 books. And we don't have that much time left in this session for 39 books, that is. I mean, it, at two minutes apiece, we got, we're, we're finished with our time together. So we're going to do the best we can. I want to give you a picture, a resource that you can begin to get a picture of the overall scheme from book to book to book, how it all fits together. If we get to the end, we don't have enough time to get them all, then we'll be able to, the notes are already available on the internet right now, so you can fill in some of the notes if you miss them. Um, But I want us to get a picture of each of the books and how it fits into this history and the literary dimension of it. And again, this is going to lay the foundation for us to really dive into the theology. So, with that said, what you've got with the books of the Old Testament are three main divisions. Three main divisions. The story of the Old Testament, the story about God's people, that's first. And, and this is something, I know that where we're flying through this may be a little difficult, but even right now, you might want to turn to your table of contents there in the Old Testament. And you can almost kind of, as, as, we, as we walk through this, as you, if you have time, if you can... Write it over there fast enough to take the table of contents and block out, okay, first 17 books from Genesis all the way to Esther, the story of God's people. And so one of the things that I like to do is, is a lot of the information you've got in here, I write it out in my Bible. If, you're not, if you think it's bad to write in your Bible, then please don't write in your Bible. But if you think it's okay, then, then I would encourage you to do so. Um, but I, I kind of write out some of these things to help get an outline, to help picture. So Genesis to Esther, you've got the story of God's people. And it's fairly chronological for the most part. We'll see how it mixes it up a little bit. But basically from Genesis to Esther, you've got a chronological picture of the history of God's people that we just talked about. From creation all the way to, to uh, the remnant coming back to Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple. That's what you've got from Genesis to Esther. The story of God's people, the history. Second, you've got the writings of God's people. And that's the next five books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Those are the writings of God's people. What they are is writings that God's people have given that fit into the history that came before that. So they don't continue the history. We're used to. Our minds are trained. We read books chronologically. They go together one after another. And so we think Job happened after Esther. Not the case. Job, like I mentioned before, happened way previous. And so you've got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, which are basically, I look at it this way. Those first 17 books given us God, God's story among his people, how he was moving. And it's very God-centered. And what you've got in Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon is man's response in the middle of that history. How was man responding along the way, whether it was in praise and wisdom and struggling through different things and in suffering. You've got man's response coming up. So you've got the writings of God's people. And then starting with Isaiah and going all the way to Malachi, you have the prophets from among God's people. So you got three major divisions, 17, 5, and 7. The prophets from amongst God's people being the last, from Isaiah to Malachi. They're split up into, many people split them up into major prophets and minor prophets. Isaiah through Daniel would be major prophets, and then Hosea through Malachi would be minor prophets. That doesn't mean 
Poor Hosea was less important than Isaiah. Let's not, let's not, you know, slight Hosea or Joel or Amos. Sure, they didn't write a lot, but they made, they made, a, they made their words count. That's for sure. So you've got a picture of basically they're called minor prophets mainly because they're smaller. Um, that's the primary reason they're called minor prophets. So you've got major prophets and then minor prophets. So that's the picture. And what the prophets do is fit in, and we'll see this in just a second, historically into the time that we see mainly in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, the last part of that history. The prophets were not prophesying in the beginning and creation as they were wandering in the promised land. The prophets began to rise up, and these particular prophets that are included in the Old Testament really come about when we get the picture of the monarchy, get the picture of the kings and, and the division of the kingdom and and. Israel being destroyed by Assyria, Babylon being, uh, Babylon coming over and destroying Judah. So that's the picture, the story, the writings, and then the prophets from among God's people. What I want to do is I want to give an overview of each of those sections, each section, the story, then the writings, and the prophets. And then for each book, I'm going to give you just kind of two pictures. And one, just primary information for starters. And by that, I basically mean just basic, basic information that's going to affect the way we understand that book. Now, in a lot of cases, especially if we were doing the New Testament, that would always include the author who wrote the book. Problem is, authorship was not that important to the, the Hebrew, Hebrew writers. A lot of these books, we don't know exactly who wrote them. There's a lot of guesses about them. But in those cases, I'm not going to say, well, this person is the author. We don't really know on some of those things. So I'll give you the information we do know. Really kind of a, for each of these books, there'll be a summary statement that I think encapsulates everything that goes on in that particular book. And then uh, the second part, practical advice for study, some things to think about as we read through that book and to look for. Maybe it'll open our eyes to help us understand how this all fits together so it's not this, just this jumbled picture that we often have in the Old Testament. So, story about God's people. Overview of the section. Divided into two major ca- categories. Now, this is the first 17 books, Genesis to Esther. You with me? Genesis to Esther. We've got an overview, and you've got two main groups. First of all, the law or the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch basically means five books, five books of the law. So the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy, that's the law. And then you've got the history, which is Joshua through Esther. So it's really split up into two categories there, kind of like we're going to see major prophets and minor prophets. Here we see the law and the history. And the essential character of these books is narrative, which basically means it's telling us the story of God's people, Israel. It's telling us the story of God's people, Israel. Remember, Israel is going to come about. We're going to see that name when God, when God interacts with Jacob and he says, I'm going to change your name. You'll be called Israel. And that begins the picture uh, that started with Abraham as they begin to be referred to as the people of God, the people of Israel. God is the Holy One of Israel. It's the story of God's people, Israel. Now, what we need to remember is that means what, what this picture is, because it's historical narrative, because it's a story, even books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they fit into a story. They're a part of the story. They're not just books that were included there to, to add a little... Well, whatever Leviticus adds to the Old Testament, to that, that kind of picture, these all fit in the story. Even Leviticus, Deuteronomy are part of this picture, the story. So let's start with Genesis, primary information for starters. Anybody know who probably wrote the author, who was the author of the five books of the law? I already said that, didn't I? Yeah, okay, Moses, well, good, or you already knew it. Uh, throughout, throughout the books of the law, we see Moses constantly receiving directives from the Lord, uh, Jesus, Paul, John, all attributed 
these books to Moses' writings. If Jesus thought Moses wrote it, I'm with him. I think I'm going to go with that. So the thing is, Moses wrote most of this, but there's a lot of likelihood that he had some help along the way, whether it was Josh or other folks, who helped plug in some things here and there. Moses is the primary writer, but, for example, you get to the, the end of the books of the law and Moses Moses passes away. I don't think he wrote that particular section uh, unless he just got a, a picture the day before and was able to write it down. So there were some things that had to be filled in along the way. All right. Genesis literally means beginning. Genesis literally means beginning. In the beginning. That's what Genesis means. What you've got is two pictures in Genesis before the fall, which is the beginning of creation, before the fall. And then after the fall, you've got the beginning of God's plan to redeem his creation. Now, that's a, that's a thick word that we're going to unfold later tonight. But it basically means restore his creation or to recreate, to, to bring them back from what happened after the fall, to restore them. So that's what happens after the fall, before the fall and after the fall. Some practical advice for study. What we need to realize is just like a, a good novel that you read, the introduction is huge. And if you don't get a hold of the introduction, the rest of it's not going to make sense. That means the first 11 chapters of Genesis are foundational to the rest of the Bible. The first 11 chapters are foundational. The picture we see unfold there, when you're studying Genesis, really camp out in Genesis 1 through 11 because there are things that are unfolding there that are huge. The major themes of the Bible begin to unfold. The sovereignty of God the sovereignty of God, which basically means the God who is in control. That is from the start in this thing. God is the creator. All of creation works according to his plan, his desires, his power. He has all authority over all creation. That's what it means for God to be sovereign. What we're going to see all throughout this book is people wrestling with that foundational theme. A guy like Job. Is God in control of this? People of Israel when they're being destroyed by Babylon. Is God still in control? All throughout, you're going to see people wrestling with that. You ever wrestle with God's sovereignty? God, are, are you in control? What's going on in my life? What, why is this happening? How can this be explained? Why is, is that person being prospered and I'm falling apart? God's people wrestling with those questions. This is a constant source of wrestling, but it's also a constant rock for God's people because it's not an easy picture to to get of the sovereignty of God. But as we grab a hold of it and as that picture unfolds, to know that no matter what happens to any one of us in this room, there is a God who is in control that has a purpose and his purpose will be accomplished. And he is all wise, he is all good, he is all loving, and he is all gracious. That's huge. And that unfolds from the very beginning in Genesis. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.